So welcome to Engaging and Empowering School Libraries, a podcast that aims to raise the profile of school libraries by talking about topics that are current in the school library world. As always, I'm joined by my co-hosts and school librarians, Ruth Maloney and Sabrina Cox. Tonight, I want to welcome three esteemed leaders in education. Richard Giver, an award-winning speaker, best-selling author, and School Library Association president. Um, I, I was going to say Martin, but he's not here. Um, where are we? Simon Hinchliffe, head teacher of Bradford Grammar School, and Peter Middleton, head teacher of Oz Westry School. Hello, everyone. Hopefully, I got that right. <laughs> Hello and welcome, and thank you for joining me. Um, can we start? Um, by you telling us a little bit about your school library setup and journey. I'm going to start with Peter. Um, and I know we're going to have a future conversation with about your school library, which is a special thing. Um, but can you just introduce yourself and, and tell me a little bit about yourself? Sure. Um, you know, thank, thanks for inviting me, me on. Um, it's great, great to be able to talk about libraries, which is um, fairly hot topic at the moment in in our school here at Oswestry and, and uh, excellent pronunciation by the way. <laughs> um, so we we've just literally um, opened uh, or, or revived a library uh, at the school, having having not had one for a number of years. Um, I have been headmaster here since January 2022. So um, in in uh, my uh, infancy as a headmaster, which is why I've still got my hair uh, and possibly my sanity, but that, that's under question, I suppose. Um, and yeah, I think uh, having having joined the school um, uh, and having gone on a few tours when I was being interviewed uh, and nobody had shown me where the library was, I eventually uh, uh, asked the chairman of governors uh, why nobody had shown me where it was. Uh, which um, had an awkward response uh, of sort of, ah, well, we, we don't actually have one. Um, so that, that gave me, you know, six months or so before I actually started uh, in post, um, uh, really troubled me um, that, that the school didn't have one. Uh, and really that became my, my kind of uh, sole, sole priority really through my first year to, to put that right uh, and to try and deliver that uh, for, for our school. Uh, I'm excited to say that, you know, we've been able to do that and open in in, in January of, of this year. Okay, fantastic. So can you just tell me what kind of school you're in? Uh, yeah, so a very old one. Um, so uh, it's 615 years old um, and we're uh, quite a small school. So small independent school, four to 18, as uh, just under 500 in the school. Um, non-selective and, and deliberately so uh, with um, quite an excitingly diverse demographic. We've, we've got about one third of the senior school uh, are overseas international borders that come from 30 different nationalities. Um, so some of that was was in the in the kind of picture in the planning for the library. How do we make this a space that's going to work for everyone, um, for those for whom um, reading and learning might might be uh, more difficult and obviously a lot of a lot of pupils for whom English is a second language. Um, we, we didn't want this space to feel intimidating or alienating uh, for anyone really. Thank you. So that, that's brilliant. Um Richard, could I could I get you to jump in and tell us a little bit about you've you've got a a long history um mm -hmm. which, which you know but your story really goes back to 
a very similar story to Peter by the sounds of things that that you uh, we're in a school as far as I understand it where the the library again wasn't necessarily central to the educational process can you just tell us a little bit about that side of of your role and your job and 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 how you came to to be working as president of the school library association sure and and thank you Elizabeth that was kind of a euphemism for you're an old bloke um <laughs> And uh, yeah, and, and I was looking at Peter too, who already got the dig in about the hair. So uh, we're going to get on Peter. <laughs> um, it was, yeah, I mean, like, you know, let, let's take it from the beginning of a classic story. Once upon a time, um, I took over a very different type of school in some ways to Peter. I took over um, a very large state primary school in the Midlands in, in, on the cusp of Nottingham and Derby. Um, just at the turn of the millennium. Um, I was quite young then to be a head teacher. And by the way, I didn't get it because I had any talent. I got it because I was the only applicant, which is a <laughs> story for another day. Um, but I took over this large urban primary school, um, which had a huge number of complex problems. Uh, it was then the then government, um, we had a Labour government at the time under Tony Blair, and um, the then government had um, identified the school for what was an emerging program it was developing called the Phoenix Programme. The Phoenix Programme was a, um, a government idea that if a school had been habitually failing for a long period of time and was impossible to shift, their big idea was to close the school down, fire everybody, uh, redesign the uniform, give the school a new name and maybe a Latin motto, um, and uh, and relaunch the school with new staff, new governance and all the rest of it, which is how I snuck in. I was the only person that didn't know the government had that plan until I signed my contract. But with all of that aside as a context, I think it's important one of the core problems at our school was a lack of aspiration. Um, most of our kids, so no one here will know where Long Eaton is, but they'll they'll have a, it'll be for, oh, apart from Deborah, but it, it'll be <laughs> familiar to Deborah in particular, but but anybody else as as well. Um, it's, it's a micro community on the cusp of two cities and it's fiercely independent. People in Long Eaton don't see themselves as Nottingham people or Derby people. And the big problem with that is it's a very insular society. So where our school was, you know, the, the aspiration was to go and work on the checkout at Asda or the brand new Tesco's that had been built because that was kind of, it, it had been a very affluent area many, many generations before the center of the UK textile industry. But anyway, so there was this huge lack of aspiration. Our kids rocked up to school knowing they went to the worst school in the area, namely because their parents couldn't get them into the, any of the other schools in the area. Um, and there was no kind of, there was no dream. There was no aspiration, you know, and as a former head, I've always said that for me, in its simplest, most condensed terms, the point of an educator, wherever we are in the system, librarian, teacher, teaching assistant, administrator, doesn't matter, is to help our kids to dream and then turn those dreams into aspirations. So in other words, we've got to get our kids having experiences which allow them to dream big, right? Yeah. So it's not just about working at Asda or Tesco's, it's about maybe being a dancer or an astronaut or an astrophysicist 
whatever it might be. But in order to do that, you've got to furnish those young people with experiences and opportunities. And then when you've got them dreaming, you can help turn that uh, dream into an aspiration by building the rungs on the ladder, which are knowledge and skills and the things young people then hook in to, to feeling passionate about learning. Now, the reason for this long-winded answer is because in an area like Long Eaton and in a school like the one I was head of, there's not much opportunity and funding to get kids out. So how do you get those experiences in? How do you build the aspirations? How do you build the dreams? How do you give young people experiences they would never normally have? And when I walked into Grange, there was no library of sorts. There were a couple of bookshelves with reading schemes on. Um, but there was this huge, incredible room that was just full of junk. It was just a dumping room. And so we got a couple of giant skips in, we removed it all, and we created a library because from where I was sitting, and, and I passionately believe this now, a library is the absolute heart of any school because it is the place where young people can learn to dream and develop aspiration because they can dip into fiction, non-fiction worlds they didn't know exist. And with a skilled librarian, that librarian can help build the rungs on a ladder to take that, that interest further. And in a school like Grange, that wasn't just a nice to have, it was an absolute, you, you if you didn't have that at the heart of your school, your education was being built on quicksand. So that's where it all started for me, Elizabeth. The, the rest is history. The school did brilliantly. And many, many years later, after I'd left my headship and started shooting my mouth off for a living um, and writing relatively simple nonfiction books, I was approached by the SLA um, to, to take over from Chris Riddell as um, president. I thought they'd actually sent the wrong email to the wrong person. They were looking for Richard Gere, um, but it, it turned out to be me. So very potted, I'm really sorry for the rant. No, 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 no that's good. <laughs> but it leads me on really nicely to, to I'm gonna, uh, my second question really is like, and, and Richard, you mentioned it slightly there in talking about reading for pleasure. I wonder how you both see the school library supporting the educational process. So I'm talking beyond that, you know, literacy and reading scheme. How do you see the school library supporting, you know, reading for learning, for example? Is it is it part of what you, how you see the library running or, or do you have a different vision? Can I start? Can I go to Peter with that? Yeah, no, I see, um, I, I, I see libraries probably working successfully when they're not sort of distinct entities and sort of happen in, in sort of weird and, and, and sort of um, uh, outposts of, of the school campus. Um, similar to what Richard said, I mean, I mean it, is, it sort of sounds like a bit of a cliche and it's a bit flowery, isn't it? But um, it's the exact same phrase, um, you know, I've used when I've described it as being the kind of beating heart of the school. Um, we were quite lucky in the, the the kind of the room where the junk was kept. Um, uh, exactly the same. Um, it, it was literally in the architectural heart of the school, and that that's been really helpful because there's a sort of geographical statement about the library being in, in the kind of nucleus really uh, that people are passing every day. That makes so, a difference, doesn't it? I think, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, so I think it. You know, I think I think um, it has to work. 
um, alongside your, your heads of faculties, along with um, your, your kind of educational drives um, to support that, sometimes actually providing the impetus uh, for it. Um, I can't stress enough um, the value of a, of a quality librarian in being able to do that uh, as well. Um, so I think if there's kind of joined up thinking in terms of what the school's trying to achieve for its pupils and what the library's trying to do in, in support, um, then that, that's uh, a sort of successful initiative. Uh, we're in our infancy, uh, but it's been good sort of hearing about and, and seeing others who have done it successfully. We'll be looking forward to looking, watching your journey, Peter, as, as you move ahead. Um, you're going to have lots of support, uh, librarian supporters, I, I think, in this in this journey. Um, can I just ask, um, Richard, when we talk about having a school librarian in post, um, it's very often that the person is line managed um, by somebody that maybe is not the most appropriate um, because it's seen as, as we've already discussed, that outside role, not central. So who would you say? Is the best person to line manage a school library if you were to if you were to be running one? Um, before I answer that, Elizabeth, I just want to interject and say, having seen Peter's library on social media, um, <laughs> I'm expecting a visit before the end, uh, an invitation to visit because it looks just wonderful. Um, and I, I think what you're saying is a really interesting question because my guess is Peter may well answer this and say senior leadership are line managing the people responsible for the library. Um, and I think that's absolutely crucial. I think the problem so often in so many schools, and I'm not um, belittling the, the pressure senior leaders are under right now, but they kind of go Oh, well, I haven't got time. My my, you know, my head's full of all the other stuff I've got to deal with right now. Um, we'll give it to, you know, somebody in the English department who can look after our library um, or the PTA can work with our librarian because they can provide the, the money for the books and they can have direct link for me. It needs to be um, a member of the senior leadership team. I'd go further and say that if there's a middle management group in the school, the, the school librarian should be a part of the middle management group for a number of reasons. Um, I think, first of all, for me, a great school library is not even just a place where young people go to do some of their learning, to even escape because I think for a number of young people, a really great library is a space of relaxation. It's an escape from some of the, the, you know, the fast pace of the school. I think great school librarians in many cases have become confidants to a number of those young people um, that I think can be, so all of that stuff. But I also think a great school library is somewhere that is the hub, not just of the school community for the kids, but for the community. So, for example, when I was at, at, at Grange, which was the school I was the principal of, we used to have sessions for the parents and carers, because a lot of those parents and carers were terrified of going anywhere near a library or a room with books or a building with, um, for A, some were school phobic, some were, had poor reading skills themselves, and many felt deeply intimidated intellectually by being in that kind of environment. So it became a safe space. I know you know, one of the, the terms, sadly, at the moment for spaces like public libraries is the warm space, right? But yeah, that, that is 
crucial, particularly for your parent community. And I also think it needs to be um, a professional development hub for your staff. You know, one of the questions we may come on to in a while, particularly around the pressures of budget and, and all of those issues for so many schools right now, is how do you justify a really well-run, well-stocked library? And one of those things is to identify actually in terms of cost effectiveness, because if it's run right by the right people and resourced in the right way, it can become an incredible professional learning tool, not just for the students, but, but for the staff. Can I bring Peter in? When he's worked yeah. out and um, <laughs> not sure if I have to raise my hand or not, but um, uh, first of all, uh, you're all very welcome. Uh, what are you doing tomorrow? <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, we'd, we'd be delighted to, to show you around um, at any point. Um, again, I, you know, I find myself in many ways in, in, in a fortunate position with that blank canvas, uh, and rather than inheriting a particular space. Um, a, you know, having having a librarian that been imposed to policies, yeah, we had nothing. So that's actually quite liberating because you you can start from base principles. And you know, if we were designing a library, well, we were. So you know, we we could think about those decisions, including uh, who would line manage um, the the librarian. So can uh, we ask you who is? Yeah. So a uh, member of senior leadership team. Okay. Um, I've also been very closely involved both once we'd have made the appointment and uh, working through the, the period of time from uh, appointment to getting getting up and running. Um, uh, we, we slightly joke because it's sort of I've, I've had to sort of slightly hand over my baby and I have um, uh, I sort of got to ration myself how often I'm seen in there like get out you've been in there three <laughs> times already today. Um, but again you know I think there were two elements to that to that decision. What one is um, the importance you're placing in in the mindset of everyone in your school community, not just the pupils, not just staff, but your parents as well, of just how important it is. Um, so uh, having that validation um, is absolutely vital uh, because you're saying this is really important um, for us as well. It's it touches on so many areas of school life. It's whole school. It's every single year group. It's boys and girls. Um, it is literally uh, everyone. And there's not many areas of school life that are like that. Um, and again, sim similar to what Richard's saying, there's actually quite a strong pastoral element to to it. Um, there has to be a space in your site that has a different atmosphere, has a has a different feel. That is that safer space for kids that don't want to be kicking a ball about in a, in break time or lunch time. Um, so actually, there's quite a lot of not just the academic, but pastoral, and and for us the co-curricular, how we how we have clubs and uh, the the wider side of school life uh, going in there. Um, but but I think I think it's it's vital when you appoint a librarian that they feel their work is is respected, it's valued, it's got the support. Um, not just of senior leadership, but actually from the head itself. I think it has it has to be um, right from the top um, that, that you're stressing how important it is. Absolutely. I have to wholeheartedly agree with you. I'm going to bring Ruth in. She's going to hand her. Could you want to ask a question? 
Yeah, it's it's related to that, and it's to do with um, a split which often exists in schools between support staff and and academic or teaching staff, and where your librarian sits in that. Um, I probably technically am a member of support staff in our school, but when it comes to teacher training days, if it's teaching and learning related, I will often go along to those sessions. I go because I'm nosy and I think it's interesting and I feel it might inform my work rather than because it's an expectation. I'm not invited necessarily to head to departments meetings. And my question really is, how do you feel that librarians, your librarians or your ideal librarian would sit in, the, in that relationship? Do you feel that they are a part of academic staff or are they, a mem or are they a, their own thing? Let's go, with, mind who answers. Let's, let's go with Peter. Go on, give me an answer. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, I sense having sort of listened to lots of librarians and, and chatted to, to our own librarian that, that this is um, not necessarily attention, but it's just it's a sort of thing that a lot of librarians feel that either they don't sit in a particular camp or, or perhaps their work isn't valued. Um, I have said, I, I sort of find it, find it, sort of difficult the, the separation anyway uh, um you know we're, we're quite a small school so it, it is easier to be one staff and i think there's lots of things you can do to make sure that, that there is that that kind of commonality rather than sort of pigeonholing and, and with the librarian inevitably um you know there is the support element in terms of supporting the academic work but there's also quite a bit of teaching and let you know some you know again I've been very lucky I've been able to appoint a superb librarian uh in, in Claire Claire Livesey if I, if I can name drop her there yeah, um, <laughs> she, she you know is is um, um more than capable and excellent in fact in terms of um delivering library lessons and working alongside uh, teachers as well so she's kind of straddling those two those two kind of areas of school life and again there's not that many roles in the school that do that no i'm going to say one of the things that i've noticed um from school librarians themselves is the fact that they're sometimes line managed by somebody who doesn't really understand what the library is and does and very often they feel that by giving the librarian carte blanche to do what they want because they're the expert that is a good way to handle it. Some of it is they're too busy. Some of it is their lack of knowledge. How would you say that a school would deal with, uh, or a librarian or a school listening is dealing with that kind of issue? Because as much as a school librarian's job and role is very, very different from a teacher's role, um, they still need to have that line management in order to be able to work somebody that that is supporting and and um ensuring that they're working within the curriculum what would you say i suppose richard to a school that is maybe thinks they have a wonderful librarian but actually there's more and because their their line management isn't right or or don't necessarily understand they're not getting the most from their school librarian I think it's a really um, crucial question. And I think a lot of it is to do with clarity and understanding. Um, you know, one of the things I think I see in really great schools is they have a really 
real clarity about what the community is seeking to achieve with its young people. In other words, what you know, what do we want our young people to look like as human beings as they develop through our school and maybe most significantly when they leave us? And I think one of the things that, that you see in, in, in struggling schools um, is, is not just disjointedness with the library, it's often disjointedness between subject areas and specialisms and disciplines. So for example, physical education will often be fighting battles for resource and time versus the arts, which will be forced to, to argue its point and case versus you know, whatever else it might be within schools is a disjoint. And I think one of the things that, that is, is always such a healthy conversation to have as a school as a first step is what are the core skills we're developing in our young people? So for example, academic research skills, collaborative skills, um, all of those skills that, that in a way often are the things that go unsaid and, and, and are not as explicit as the learned knowledge of a curriculum, right? And I think what's really interesting is when you start to have those conversations, two things happen. One is um, librarians who, sometimes don't feel valued or valuable. I think there, there, you know, there is a big issue here for me in terms of a number of our librarians not realizing just what it is they bring to their school communities Absolutely. in terms of their skill set and knowledge. But by having an open conversation across the staff about, well, what is it we're seeking to achieve? What do some of those learning skills and life skills look like? For many librarians, they'll go, oh my goodness me, that's A, part of my training, and B, part of the way I get young people to use and understand a library, right? Absolutely. And, and once you have those sorts of conversations, the school starts to see the library and the librarian, not just as the place where the books are, but actually a really crucial part of helping to co-develop those young people. What that also then does is it allows a brokering of conversations suddenly teachers might go to the librarian and say, what advice have you got? Or when they come into the library, could you highlight with X, Y, or Z, or that group, these behaviors? That's some of the stuff we're trying to underpin. So I think sometimes for me, part of it is not about a reinvention. It's about bringing out of the shadows into the light what many people already know in their roles, but don't seem to see as joined up thinking. You know, the, the number of times I've spoken to science departments about the core skills that transfer from music to science or science to sport or sport to literature or research. And they it's like a weird thing for, for a number of teachers, particularly those that have specialisms, to help open their blinkers a bit and go, oh, crikey, these things are interconnected. And in many ways, for me, a really skilled librarian in, in a school can be that jump box. So do you think then that that um, if a school librarian, if we look at it from the other angle, if the school librarian themselves don't feel empowered or feel as if that they can achieve something, who who is it? Where Whose responsibility is it to understand that there is something more in that school librarian, do you think? Richard, because I, I, look, I think it's I think it's a great question, and I think to an extent, 
librarians, as with many members of staff, are often at the mercy of the colleagues they work with. So you can't put all the onus on a no. librarian, right? And and I would say this, wouldn't I, because of my, my yeah. honorary position at the SLA. But for me, networks, it's why networks of librarians are so important, yeah. so vital. Um, it doesn't have to be the SLA, but it, it's about these networks, your network, the networks that, that run across the system. You know, one thing librarians get is storytelling. And actually, I don't think we tell enough stories. I don't think we share enough stories. It's why so much of just seeing Peter's um, you know, library online is so exciting and empowering for people who are passionate about school libraries. And, and we need to do more of it because actually so often I think I hear from school librarians such a profound frustration that they know they have so much more to give but they really don't know how to begin or where to start or how to tell the story to their own school leaders about just how and what they can do. And of course, if they've got a resource network of other librarians that have been through it, that have created powerful exemplars, you create a really, really strong sense of momentum that allows those people to feel less alone and more like they've got an army behind them who can help them fight their corner. Excuse my dog, by the way, she agrees universally. <laughs> with everything <laughs> um that but that is so true and, and i'm going to bring peter back in you've got your hand up do you want to say something before i ask you a question yeah i was just going to add um and this may be a more general kind of leadership thing but you know i think good leadership has the humility to listen um and and whether that's a librarian or or anyone else um these these are the experts in their particular area um, and actually, ra rather than, you know, as a leader driving through, you know, blinkered what, what you're trying to do, uh, I think giving the space to listen, to be prepared to, to adapt and, and shift in your own thinking. Um, you know, I, I had a bit of a bias because, I you know, I studied English and I love books and um, there was a personal thing there, but I knew it was the right thing for the school and, and, and um, it was a vision that the governing body and uh, folk were behind. But actually through the process and particularly once we'd appointed um, the, the, the new librarian, actually listening to her and bringing her ideas and perspectives in help to really shape the final reality and, and make that vision the reality. So I think being prepared to take that step back and maybe be prepared to, to recognize that maybe you're going down a wrong route um, is quite healthy. Um, and, and really to, to give librarians in particular that voice, you, you said that they're not necessarily uh, by nature, um, uh, those that, that want to speak up or being prepared to speak up, I'm sure that's a generalization. Um, and my librarian definitely speaks up. Uh, <laughs> so, but you, you've got to provide that that space for them. It, it's interesting because at the minute there's a big buzz around um, raising literacy levels, and and it just seems, you know, obvious to to me that that the first people you should be talking to is your school librarian. <clears throat> and often that doesn't happen. Um, you know, there's a there's a big, there's lots of talk about um, whole school literacy plans that again, don't talk about school libraries. Um, now this just seems mad. And obviously we're talking to people on tonight's 
chat that obviously agree that that those things are obvious but but Peter how would you encourage other schools that maybe have their they have a like hopefully they have a library you know there's some schools that don't so so you know they've got a library and they've got somebody sitting in there how would you how how is it possible for for us to raise voices for those that aren't being listened to how can school librarians that are being ignored as far as literacy is is concerned how can we give them a voice beyond their school and and their school then recognizing that there is a problem big question <laughs> yeah absolutely um yeah and, and look it's baffling i i find it strange that it, it's not a priority uh, in schools and, and i know that there, there are many that will probably think it's regressive to to focus your energy on, on um uh reviving a library and see that as anti-progressive but um i really don't see it like that and i find it strange that um a space that that can and should really be one of the most exciting places in your school um is being either isn't there it's either absent in schools um or it isn't that space and you know the very point of education the very thing we're focusing all our energies on in terms of uh, pupils discovering um their, their own um skills and aptitudes but also the, the wider world you know that that that's the space where it can happen um so yeah what what are there are, are we going to say are there opportunities for head teachers to talk to head teachers well, I, I mean, once it, I mean, I hadn't really thought about this um, until you, till you asked it, but um, it, I have I've not been a head teacher for that long. No, you know, I've been been senior senior leadership six years and things like that. I can't recall an occasion where the library uh, or uh, librarians or, or um, uh, what place books have in the twenty first century has been discussed, um, and maybe the the there needs to be more um, of, of head teachers thinking, talking, looking at examples of where uh, libraries are, are running successfully and the, the demonstrable benefits of that. Um, and, and maybe things like, you know, what, you know, Richard's as a former head, who's got a voice, um, uh, uh, both speaking, but, you know, and social media and everything else, you know, maybe there needs to be more, um, uh, of, of head teachers who are passionate and, and passionate advocates for for libraries and librarians to be empowering you know on quite a, quite a national scale um the, the the blog piece i wrote um uh this month um you, you know has sort of spiraled out of control really yeah. um compared to anything else I've, I've written about and you know i'd like to think they were also sort of reasonably sort of um uh, commendable things to write about and talk about but that captured the imagination it, it it restored my faith in a way that I wasn't completely bonkers uh, that actually um, this is something that resonates uh, obviously the, the librarians uh, community got right behind us <laughs> of course we did so yes. help the, the likes of Michael Rosen uh, retweets and everything else um, but but it goes beyond that to to um, lots of other people who, who don't necessarily have that that particular focus. So 
there's a, there's a space, for instance, in social media and, and thought pieces uh, for, for heads and senior leaders um, to be talking about it, thinking about it, debating about it. Because I think there's some quite interesting debate to be had about the, you know, the role of books and libraries um, and digital um, right now. You know, this is this is exactly the moment to be talking about it. Absolutely, I'd agree with you. Ruth, you've got your hand up. Do you want to come in? Yeah, um, it's kind of two points. And the first is that I quite often feel that librarians are talking to librarians about this and head teachers either aren't talking to each other about this or are talking to each other about this. I very rarely, I, for example, haven't ever been asked to go to any groups of local head teachers and talk about what we've done with our school library, although there has been a huge change there in the last five years. Um, I'm never asked to advocate to teachers on behalf of school libraries. And I'm not aware of that. I mean, it may be, I, I'm a very provincial little world. Um, it may be that that's happening, but I don't get that sense. This kind of meeting of a combination of teaching and librarians, it seems to me to be very rare. And I've been to lots of librarians things, but I very rarely go when we're actually talking to the people who we want to work with. So that's the first thing. And the other thing was to pick up something that Richard mentioned about skills. I think it's really important. Something that I'm um, working on a lot at the moment is because we're an IB school um, and the IB is all about skills. They are not about content at all. And I think, I hope, that all the chat about chat GPT <laughs> might help people to understand that education is no longer about content and needs to be about skills. And then it is prime opportunity for the librarians to stand up and say, oh, we can do skills. That's our bag. We can teach you, your students, how to research, how to do this, how to do that. We can't teach content because that's not our thing. And maybe this is an opportunity for librarians to start having those conversations with head teachers and not just their own head teachers, but generally and saying, come on, this is, this is our bag. And this Absolutely. is why you need us. Um, and, and yes, you need the books because they're, you know, they're very important, but the library and the librarian are about much more than that. Um, and I think it's, I think, I hope this is an opportunity. It certainly is in our school. I've been, I'm the person in our school going on the course about ChatGPT in education so that I can share that with our teachers. And I think that feels like an opportunity for me to be that advocate for school libraries more widely. Absolutely. And I would agree. I think it's, I think ChatGPT is certainly something that is, is, it's, it's already shaken up education, hasn't it? <laughs> but that's another story and we'll have to come back. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. Some point, but yeah, I think it is a really exciting time. Deborah, can I bring you in and get you to ask your question? Yeah, thank you. Um, I, I hear um, amazing things coming both from yourself, Peter and, and, and Richard um, about um, uh, everything that you said about school libraries. Um, I think my frustration is that we are not the default when it comes to either talking about literacy, as, as we've just talked about, 
Um, and also that no matter how much we are valued within our own school, um, sometimes you also get blindsided. I'm going to give you, Richard, you mentioned storytelling. So I'm going to tell a little story. Um, as of January this year, I've been in post six years. Um, I have an amazingly supportive head and an incredibly supportive uh, English faculty. I re, I, my line, I'm line managed by English and in this sense it works, that's fine. Um, we do have a, a, a school literacy programme run by a, a teacher who started on the same day as me and we've actually become friends outside of school, so very close relationship. Um, but last week I had an email that uh, this head of literacy forwarded to me um, and there were about 30 to 35, maybe 38 head teachers who'd obviously been talking about literacy and how they could improve literacy. Um, mostly it was aimed at primary, I'm in a secondary school, but up to and including um, the ages of uh, up to 12 year olds. Um, so that's why we got involved in this. Um, and uh, they had met with representatives from Waterstones who had come up with lovely reading lists for children ages five to eight and then eight to 12. And wasn't this a fantastic resource? And wouldn't I be interested in this? Now, we've just had for three years um, the amazing Cressida Cowell banging on about school libraries. Now, you can't have got much more high profile than what she's done. I was lucky enough to sit at this, um, the SLA conference this year. Richard, we met, I won your book. Um, <laughs> tell the difference having lived in Long Eaton between a Nottingham and a Derbyshire accent. Um, but um, you know, she talked about meeting parliamentarians and she's been banging on, it's been headlines in newspapers. So why is it that, that um, head teachers and SLT, why is it that the default, as soon as we talk literacy, one of the places they go to is not, why is it not still school libraries? I mean, you know, without bashing Waterstones, I get on great with them here. You know, they don't sell, as far as I know, certainly locally here, Barrington Stoke. You've not got your high, low interest books. Um, you're, you've not got really young people's um, nonfiction outside your very basic picture books and onwards from there. Um, there's, you haven't got that breadth. I just don't understand. We seem to be having these conversations again and again. We are going round in circles. What is it that we need to do to, to break this cycle and, and really get, if we're talking literacy, if we're talking reading, why aren't we one of the natural defaults that, 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 uh, that the SLTs and head teachers go to? Can I bring you back in, Richard? Yeah. Wow. I mean, that, that's an incredibly challenging couple of, um, you know, points, both from you, Deborah, and, and from Ruth. And I think this is the nub of the challenge. Right. And, and I think everyone here and most of the people who will listen in or watch this, who belong to organizations like the, the SLA, we're all kind of speaking in the echo cha chamber of the converted. Um, I think this speaks to a much bigger problem, Deborah. I don't think it's just unique to school librarians. I think we're living, I try as best I can not to be overtly political when I talk about education. I try to be as objective and as focused on the needs of young people as I can. 
But I find myself increasingly over the last 12 years or so becoming unbelievably frustrated. There are so many things going on in the education culture that I think are causations of, of what you're talking about. First of all, school leadership. Um, and, and I'm still connected. My wife's a state school head. She has been for 17 years. My daughter's a, a teacher of, of five years now. I forget um, that, Richard. I always forget that. She should have been on tonight. <laughs> yeah, she's, she's currently cuddling our dog and watching something <laughs> on television that I would go, you're joking. Um, <laughs> but, but, you know, I, I think what's really important, first of all, is heads and senior leaders are under an unbelievable cosh, particularly in the state system right now. They are absolutely at their wits end on so many levels, just trying to keep their schools open, let alone being able to be strategic and proactive. And I think that speaks a lot for a lot of school leaders. Secondly, we've got a government at the moment who have a singular ideological obsession about the purpose of education. And for me, the danger is it doesn't have longevity. It's not about lifelong learning. It's not about instilling a, a love of learning. It's, it's none of those things. It's not even preparing young people for a future workplace. It's very much about delivering syllabus to get qualified. You know, we're living in a Taylorist era where the government are obsessed that the future of education lies in doing what we've always done more efficiently. And so we're living in a time where those bigger, broader debates and conversations about education, the value of education, the value of literacy and literature and, and the immersion of, of language and books and, and all of those things have almost been as sidelined as the arts or the other arts, as, as sports, as all of those things because we're living in a deeply dangerous system that is purely functional. So for me, and I've tried to think long and hard about this, Deborah, because I've spent the best part of nearly 40 years now trying to bash my head against the system. I thought by creating a school that we did, um, that would have been a really great model to argue. And for a few years it was, and then things changed. But for me, I think right now, what we have to do is help to help our schools and our school leaders to be part of the solution rather than another pressure in their ear. Um, now, that's not necessarily the long term, aim, right? But if we keep going to our heads, to our senior leadership team saying, I need more, we need this, I need that, I need to be more involved in this, that and the other, what's going to happen is, is because our school leaders are being having to be so strategic, they're going to push, they're going to push us aside. They're going to push our voices aside and go, not now, I haven't got time. So we've got to go to them. And this maybe is where the network of school librarians can really come together with evidence of how we improve literacy, not in the terms of how we all envision literacy, but literacy outcomes, literacy scores, data. Right. We've got to start to put together that argument, because the thing is, right now, we've just got to be at the table. We've got to get through the door. My actual belief is and I'm an optimist. I think as I read the situation, certainly globally, I'm, I'm very fortunate to spend a lot of my time traveling around the place and seeing education in, in other countries and, and across a number of jurisdictions. And I think politically here. Um, 
I think we're about to enter in the next two to three years, I think we're going to enter a broader, more mature, more expansive conversation about the future of education again. Um, and I think what we need as, as librarians and library services is to be at the table, to be there at that time, to have those conversations. And in the meantime, it's to justify our existence although it may not be what we're after, by just helping our schools to find the solutions they're stressing over right now. Absolutely. I wonder though, is, do you think some of it is, is education of teachers? So if, if you know, for, for example, my children who the eldest is now 31, um, showing my age, um, came through school as the internet had just started, school libraries became a thing you didn't need a library because you could just go home and click those young people have now he's now a teacher so he's effectively gone through his education system and then on to university which was all online and into a school so apart from the fact that they have a mother who you know I've got another son who's a teacher who constantly gets told that they should work with their librarians um most teachers younger teachers don't don't even think about it it's not even on their radar and and going back to something that I think that was that, that maybe Ruth said I've been to teachers conferences I've presented there if you mention school libraries teachers don't turn up because they don't see it as something that's part of what you do I was once told that I should name my talk something else <laughs> in order to get them through the door there's something really wrong um, and and we do just need to try and change things. Can I bring you in, Peter? Yeah, I think I think some of it comes down to preconceptions, misconceptions, people having an idea in their head, possibly from their youth uh, or, or what, what it what it was like, um, and and they almost sort of think, um, well, that that that's that's irrelevant in in the modern world. Um, you know, and I, I even had a few people sort of questioning what we were going to call the new space and I said well it's a library you know <laughs> we can't we what why would we be ashamed of that um and and there's something um uh, sort of that that I like to do with the idea of freedom and, and the, the association um with, with flight and and um and and its solidity and its heritage and and its way in which it is um transcended centuries um we should be proud of this idea and let's not kind of come up with funky modern names about it um but actually let's get people excited about what's happening in, inside them and and show people um that, that that's the case because i think most most people have this idea of libraries as being very quiet spaces and they're just all about books um but that's only part of the story i think um and they can be very dynamic places. Uh, they can be very energizing places. Um, they can actually shift in their dynamic and their atmosphere during the course of a single day. Um, so, yeah, I, I think it, it's um, that problem that we've got. And, and it's um, without getting sort of too philosophical about it, I, I suspect it's a similar problem that the, you know, the church faces with the unchurched. You know, how do you reach people that haven't grown up going to a church? Well, how do you reach people that haven't grown up in an exciting 
library space. Um, and, and if they become more and more rare and there are fewer and fewer of them, then that becomes a bigger and bigger problem. Absolutely. I, th I think, you know, there's, there's such a big conversation to be had around this and, and just having a conversation with the two of you has been um, inspiring and, and reassuring that there are people out there that are still happy to bang the drum because a lot of the time when when you do advocate as a librarian for librarians you're almost in your your bubble uh, you know it, it's sort of jobs for the boys isn't it yes you would say a library was great for you because that's your job but actually having head teachers speak out about the fact that they are putting libraries in and, and they are making a difference is is really important for the future. I'm just going to pause there a second. I will ask one more question before we finish, but I'm just going to take this opportunity to promote my membership. So to any schools who are looking for ways to boost independent learning, literacy and well-being in your school, my membership program offers training and support for school librarians and teachers. And you can find the link in the speaker's notes below. So thank you for, for joining me tonight. Can I just finish off with the final question? If you, um, what would you say to a head teacher who has a library but is struggling to see its value? Can I go with Peter first? Um, I would say um, believe, believe in the possibilities. Um, talk to people um, who are doing it, um, who have done it successfully um, uh, and recognise uh, the potential for it to be transformative. Thank you. And Richard? I, I would echo exactly what Peter said. I, I would say go visit a couple of outstanding school libraries. Um, and when you're there, ask yourself the simple question, what is it about this space that I don't want for my young people? <laughs> because the argument, you know, it's, it's the, the flip philosophy. I mean, I, I am yet, I, there are very, very, very few educators that don't want the best for their young people. Very few, tiny number. And I think any educator that walks into an outstanding library that's brilliantly run, will want something similar for their children. And I think it hits on what Peter and, and you and, and, and Ruth and Deborah have, have all said this evening. What we've got to do is conquer ignorance. And I don't mean that in, in, um, you know, in, in a negative or name calling way. We have to conquer ignorance because people don't know what they're missing unless they know what they're missing. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's a perfect way to finish. So I just want to thank you for joining me this evening, um, Richard and Peter. It's been really interesting to chat to you. And I hope we managed to get some senior leaders thinking about their role of the school librarian within the educational process within their schools. Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss out on future discussions. Thank you for listening and good night. <laughs>